She's a lion, that girl, Nix told me suddenly. We had been watching the stars from our campsite on a chill night when the war was young. I raised a brow. Your daughter? Nix nodded with a wily grin. That's why I named her Leona. Takes after her mother. Pair of lions, those two. He said nothing else after that for a long while. There was no context, no point being made. Just a lion who missed his pride. From Elderblade Productions, this is Echoes of Exeter, Episode 7, The Miraculous Four. was the only thing that spoke. It warded us from the cold of the northern Rothian night, its crackle offering a steady solace, like a benediction from a priest. In its dancing light, the faces of Quinn, Zara, and myself flickered in and out of sight as we watched Leona gape and strain for words on the ground. Her eyes were bloodshot with panic and her body jerked and writhed in absolute silence. She braced against her restraints. Quinn and I had bound her with pieces of torn clothing the moment we saw her. Zara wailed with sorrow, hurling every curse ever invented at me. We carried Leona away from the river, suffering kicks and bites from the girl every step of the way. Finally, we came upon a forest clearing, By nightfall, we were able to get a small fire going. Exhausted as we were, no one dared speak of rest. No one dared say anything at all. Least of all Zara, who by now had screamed herself hoarse. She now sat opposite Quinn and I, looking down at her daughter with devouring woe. The firelight accented the bags in her eyes the cracks of her dried lips, the hardness of her creased brow, until she looked more like a statue, a monument to mother's pain. Every now and then my mind stretched feebly for something to say, some balm for the wound I'd caused. I could point out that Leona was not speaking like Denarthy had, that she seemed to be fighting Ellipsis's control. Quinn and I still had our minds as well. It could mean that Isolde was still fighting Ellipsis for control of the Ebon Mist. Cold comfort to a mother, I knew. But it could also mean there was still a chance to undo this. If we could find Denarthi in the Miraculous Four, if we could all reach Widow's Ridge before the Emperor. It was like an ear-splitting screech when Leona stopped moving. All three of us flinched eyes locked onto her. We watched as her eyes slowly closed, 
and the tension in her body released. Her chest began to rise and fall in a healthy rhythm. Something akin to peace spread across her face, or perhaps simply the absence of conflict. Sleeping, Quinn whispered. Her voice sounded strange after hours without it. That's a good sign. What does it mean? Zara asked. Her gaze clamped onto Leona like a vice. Is she? Likely not, I said. And I felt the hope fall limply around me like dead tree leaves. Her body is passed out because she's tired. The battle for control is still going on inside her. We listened to the sounds of the northern night. Hoots and chitters, swaying branches, the nighttime mischief of nature. Zara sucked in a long breath, brushing away a lock of her scarlet ash hair as she said, It's your fault. Her words chained a hundred-pound weight around my neck. Zara, I swear to you I will make this right. Ellipsis will not... I'm not talking about ellipsis. Her azure eyes flashed at me. Nix. Whatever happened to him, to our family? You had a part in it, didn't you? Ellipsis may as well have taken over me, for how silent I fell. Zara nodded her head, taking it as confirmation. Quinn, ever the good friend, tried to save face by saying, We can't divulge the details of our cases for fear of... His lair is under attack, his mistress is in danger, and he risks his life to save a couple nobodies? Zara's brow arched. But we're not nobodies to him. That's why he brought his food himself. Why he dropped in to play with Leona. Why he's got that guilty look in his eye whenever I talk about my husband. Her eyes took piercing aim at me, like a knight tilting at a joust. You hurt us once. I can't remember how, because you took that from us. But I can see it written all over your face. Quinn opened her mouth to protest, but stopped when I placed a panicked hand on her shoulder. I caught the glint of firelight shining off the metal before I saw the weapon. Essa Dalvacus's revolver in Zara's hands aimed straight at my heart. Two voices in my mind fought for dominance in that moment. One was practical. How did she get that? Could I distract her? How could I protect myself? Quinn still held the phantom ring, which might be compromised anyway due to ellipsis. The Alzarian sonic ring was on my finger, but was I truly going to use it? after everything else I'd done to her? The second voice was calmer, and rang truer. This is it. This is what I deserved all along. Zara rose, keeping the weapon trained on me. I need whatever money you have. Weapons, too. Her intentions dawned on Quinn before me. You... You're leaving? In the middle of nowhere? My gut turned to ash at the thought. 
My voice was a desert wind through a bottle when I said, Zara, it's not safe. She, they are hunting you. It hasn't been safe since you walked into our lives, Claude Von Der. I'll take my chances on my own. You owe me that choice at the very least. If, if Ellipsis takes her completely, then that will happen whether or not I'm with you. At least on my own, I won't be next to the two people who just pissed that thing off. Zara, please. I leapt to my feet. Zara backed away, finger on the trigger. I held up my hands, straining for the right words. Cold sweat mingled with streaming tears down my face. I... I'm guilty. I'm guilty, and I'll tell you everything. I don't want forgiveness. I just want you to be safe. And I know it doesn't seem like it, but the worst thing you can do right now is leave. I will fix everything, Zara, I swear it. And if I don't, you can end me any way you like. Please, just trust me. A sejura passed in our mournful duet. Zara's gaze held mine, and her sky-blue eyes glistened as well. Her lips wrung into a jagged arch, somewhere between rage and pity. She spat out a sudden laugh, stopping my heart cold for a few beats. Recollection swallowed her like a sinkhole. When she spoke again, it was low and soft, more to herself than to Quinn and I. There's one memory that I'm fairly certain your mistress didn't tamper with, Von Der. Shale Cross, before the war. A couple years after I had Leona. She was a shy girl, cried around others. Nix and I were worried she wouldn't come out of her shell. So Nix, gods, I wanted to kill him. One day Nix comes home with a dog, some stray that followed him home. Maybe it'll help her open up, he said. It had this mangy, brindled fur with patches in it. Looked like it had seen a few scraps. I wanted to throw it out right away, but it had these eyes. Black and wet like river stones, full of yearning. Trust me, they seemed to say. I won't make trouble. I chose to believe him. Wanted to. Things were fine for a few weeks. Leona loved him, would talk to him at night as she fell asleep. Then one night, Leona decided she wanted to be a dog too. Wrapped herself in an old brown blanket, snuck up on the dog and barked as loud as she could. He attacked her, gashed her leg without a thought. I wrenched the dog away from her and hurled him out the door. Never let him back in. For the next few weeks it scratched at our door, whined and pleaded to be let in. Leona begged me to do it. And deep down, I knew I couldn't even blame him. He'd acted out of fear, as we all have. But I trusted him. Trusted him with Leona. And she got hurt for it. And now I've done it again. There's no coming back from that. I can't change it, erase it, or deny it. 
so I just hurt her even more. I have to own my mistakes, Claude Von Der. And so do you. With that, she lowered the revolver. It seemed she felt it was no longer necessary. She was right. Neither Quinn nor I made any advance towards her. Instead, Quinn reached into her pockets and pulled out a few shimmers. She handed them to Zara. At least let us bring you to Cragfall? Or wait until dawn? Zara shook her head. Aiden knows what she'll be like when she wakes. I want to cover as much ground as possible before then. I'll make south. I've lived in the Crownwood my whole life. I know it better than here. She made for Leona, scooped her up into her arms. She turned from us, and without another look, started off into the dark. Wait, I said. I approached her, hands still raised. With care, I pried off the sonic ring from my finger and placed it gently in Zara's hand. She will speak again, I promised. Zara managed a thin smile. Free yourself, Claude Von Der. Leona and I weren't the only ones trapped in that cage. Zara quit us and made south, her scarlet hair a trailblaze behind her. And just like that, the two people I'd fought for so long to protect, my entire purpose for making a pact with Isolde, gone. Numbly, I returned to the fire and to Quinn. She prodded the kindling awkwardly with a stick. A few furtive glances shot my direction before she let out a taut breath. So, status report. The Ebon Mist is out of commission. Our mist-powered tools and weapons are useless. You've got one glove that makes sparks and has a couple darts. We're being hunted by an empire armed with the deadliest weapons in the world, plus an all-consuming demigod who can possess anyone it comes in contact with. Quinn's breathing hastened into a series of huffs. I hate to say it, Von Der, but I'm really beginning to think we're bad at our jobs. We'll... we'll get through this, Quinn. I didn't completely believe my own words. I could barely process all that had happened in the past few hours. I needed to act, but there was no time to think. And I was so tired. Tired of fighting. Tired of existing. I just wanted to sleep forever. Really? That's a relief, because it sounds to me like we're completely scorched. Even if Isolde manages to fight off Ellipsis, we need a miracle to stand a chance against Black Sun. Yes. I mused absently, my gaze lost in the fire. Good thing we have four of them. Quinn barked a bitter laugh. Even if you find them in Cragfall, how do you plan on convincing them to help us? An ember popped in the flames, and the idea formed in my mind as I watched the cinders crumble. I raised my right arm.
we made for Cragfall the next morning. A versatile town, known for its trade in goat skin and its various mining exports. Built out of the side of the Red Spire Mountain, it sported metal elevators and railings alongside cobblestone huts with thatched hay roofs. There were no walls or fences. Everything was out in the open, basking in the sun and the wind. The entire town was perhaps a hundred yards long. Its people were hardy, hard-working followers of Aiden. Unfortunately for them, it was that last part that would be critical for my plan. What happened next, I had to learn from Quinn after the fact. Dressed in black robes she'd stolen from a shop, Quinn carried my lifeless body through the streets of Cragfall. I was wrapped head to toe in rags. The people of Cragfall gathered into a small crowd, their faces melting with disgust as they listened to Quinn's words. Praise be to Scalos the Unmade, that she may guide her departed son to the pit. Oh, may he be welcomed into her dark embrace, and be saved from the blinding light of the heathens. A wave of boos erupted from both sides of the street, followed by righteous cursing in Aiden's name. An errant stone or piece of refuse was hurled at her. Before too long, it seemed that all of Cragfall had turned their ire onto Quinn. The crowd gathered into a mob trailing behind her, chanting passages from the Thralesh. A few began to crowd Quinn, shoving her and shouting in her ear to leave. It was getting to the point where Quinn felt she should run for safety, when she felt a clawed hand close on her wrist. A hooded figure whispered in her ear. Follow me, she said. There was a roar of surprise from the mob, as a nearby wagon full of produce was knocked aside, spilling its contents into the street. The hooded figure used this distraction to steal Quinn away, into a nearby warehouse. The figure smashed in a window and they climbed inside. It was a storehouse for goat's meat and milk. Dried shanks hung on hooks in the center of the room. Crates of wrapped and cured meat and barrels of milk and cheese lined the walls. Once inside, and certain they hadn't been followed, the hooded figure revealed herself to Quinn. My child, Tosca cooed, what brings you so far from the flock? Are, are you a servant of the unmade? Quinn asked hesitantly. Indeed. I am on a pilgrimage of sorts. But as a high priestess, I am sworn to help any of my brothers and sisters in need. Quinn's eyes widened. A high priestess? Then, then you can speak with Scalos herself. Please, my lady, you must perform the shrouding rite for my brother. He was killed by bandits as we fled Mira. I am worried Scalos will not welcome his soul. Oh, you poor creature. I will be delighted to perform this rite. Though, as I'm sure you know, there is a small fee. Two gleams. To pay for the departed's ferry to the pit, of course. I will pay it gladly. Only... I'm sorry, my lady. Would you mind taking a look at my brother's face? He was mauled, you see, and I'm worried Scalos will not recognize him. Rest assured, my child, Scalos knows all her children. 
I, I know that in my heart, my lady, but please, for my own peace of mind. After a moment's hesitation, Tuska smiled and knelt beside the wrapped body. Quinn began to unfurl the rags. I don't recall at what point I began to wake, whether it was before or after they brought me into the warehouse. I just remembered the sound of Quinn's voice and the feeling of rags being pulled off my body. Then I felt the telltale tap of Quinn's finger on my arm to let me know that the trap was ready to be sprung. What was left of my rags burst apart as I lunged upward at Tosca with Quinn's electrified glove. I made contact with her arm, and the Draylish con artist began to seize as lightning coursed through her body. I released her, and she crumpled onto the ground, her body jerking uncontrollably. I fell back, my head reeling from the effects of the demon's teeth. Quinn grabbed a nearby butcher's knife and held it to Tosca's throat. Couldn't resist bilking another lost lamb, eh, Tosca? What's the matter? Kidnapping not paying as well as you thought? Zarak! Tuska cursed through clenched teeth. She took a clump of dirt in her still-quaking hands and lobbed it in Quinn's eyes. Then, she kneed Quinn in the stomach and clawed to her feet. I did the same, though the residual effects of the poison made my body numb and sluggish. Tuska recovered more quickly. Taking the butcher's knife, she climbed the stairs up to the second floor. Quinn, I slurred. Are you... I'm fine. Go! I took off for the stairs, rolling my ankles and slamming my shoulders into support beams. I caught up with Tosca, just as she made for a window on the opposite wall. She crashed through it, landing on the rooftop of a neighboring building outside. A chorus of screams followed from the confused mob. Summoning what control I had over my body, I forced myself to take a running leap at one of the meat chains draping down from the ceiling. I barely managed to catch on, slipping significantly as my weight caused the chain to swing forward. I released, and my back slammed into the wooden railing, smashing it. The pain was tremendous, but it was enough to snap me out of my stupor. Seething, I picked myself up and jumped out the window onto the rooftop. By the time I recovered from my tumble roll across the hay-covered shingles, Tosca was already leaping onto the adjacent roof. I charged for her, preparing to take a running leap, only to be caught off guard by a soaring butcher's knife flung from Tosca's hands. I dodged just in time to avoid it plunging into my gut, but the motion threw off my trajectory. I slid off the roof, pinging off the side of the cobblestone wall and landing hard in the alleyway between. My still healing ribs throbbed, and I was fairly certain I'd sprained my wrist. Part of me wanted to give up then and there, but it was burned up like tissue before a fire of indignation inside me. She won't get away again, I vowed. Not like this. Not after everything I've lost. Fighting to stand, I dove out of the alley into the angry mob. Seeing me chase after Tosca, they were swift to turn their rage onto me, and even swifter to run away screaming as I brandished my sparking hand at them. Witness the power of Skalos, I cried, 
Fear her might, mortals. The street cleared like debris swept up by a broom. As the street opened up, I saw Tosca attempting to disappear around a corner. I chased her, soon arriving at the face of the mountain. Embedded in the mountain wall was a series of metal staircases and ladders, leading up to various platforms with entryways into mining shafts. We ascended the stairs, with Tosca maintaining a healthy story or two above me. I tried to track her above me, watching her shadow for indication of which direction she was going. Eventually, the shadow appeared to dart into one of the mining shafts. As I approached the platform where she disappeared, I noted the entryway to the shaft on this level was boarded up. I started for the entryway, then paused. Recalling whom I was dealing with, I bent down and picked up a large stone about the size of a melon. Approaching the entryway slowly, I watched the boards for any signs of movement, cradling the stone in my hands. When the moment was right, I threw the stone as hard as I could at the boards. The stone struck the boards of the entryway. It never had a chance to hit the ground. The boards began to twist and bend of their own accord, enveloping the stone like a hundred wooden tentacles. The action left an opening in the entryway, and I took it, barreling through and careening into Fion of the Miraculous Four with full force. Fion's wand flew from her hand and clattered onto the hard pan dirt. She hit and clawed at my face until two large hands gripped my shoulders. All at once I was airborne as Storm Dreamer flew my body to the ceiling. Before I could gain purchase on his body with my glove, he released me and I fell resoundingly onto the hard pan. My ribs screamed and I spat out blood. I rolled onto my back, just as a large human man drew his greatsword and held it to my throat. Tosca was behind him, clutching her chest and heaving. There was a slight pause, where everyone seemed to be getting their bearings on the situation. Sensing I might not live long beyond this moment, I raised my right forearm to the miraculous four, bearing the mark of the ebon mist, tainted with the three dots of ellipsis. It's... it's taken the mist, I panted. Black... they have black sun. They're coming for Widow's Ridge. I wasn't sure how much of what I'd said made sense to them. I was only trying to show them I meant them no harm. Upon seeing my mark, however, the human man slowly pulled back his sword and stepped away. He was broad and barrel-chested, with a regal, chestnut-brown beard that stretched to his sternum. His head was shaven, and he sported a cross-scar on the top right side of his head. This was Doran, of the Four. Sheathing his great sword, he rolled up his right shirt sleeve, revealing the same three blood-red marks on his forearm. Storm Dreamer landed next to him, and revealed that he had the same mark on his arm. So did Fionn and Tosca. There's... something you should see, Tosca whispered. As the sounds of struggle faded from the shaft, I heard something from deep within. A faint chorus of muffled screams.
Tasca helped me to my feet, and I hobbled after the four as they led me further inside. We reached the end of the shaft sentry tunnel, coming upon a large pit. Normally, this is where one might have seen an elevator. Aside from a few bits of twisted metal sticking to the cavern walls, though, there was nothing of the sort. Just a deep, empty void. Save for one thing. A man, bound and gagged, dangling from a chain in the center of the pit. It got us too, Von Der, Tuska breathed. I tried to parlay with it, tried to get it to release Denarthi. It got me first, then the others. We didn't come to our own senses until yesterday. We've lost days. Upon seeing me, Denarthi tensed every muscle in his body. His eyes went so wide I feared they would fall out of their sockets. He railed against his restraints, and a cacophony of vengeful screams pierced through his cloth gag. He swung hard on the chain, as though trying to break it, even if that meant plummeting to his death. He was a vessel of rage and hunger, except for his eyes. Those ice-blue eyes were the same as when I'd seen them at Songwake Manor. Sad, pleading, the last precious remnants of a stolen soul. Ellipsis had a grip on us all. Only Isolde stood in its way, as she fought for her life against its control. How long could she keep fighting? And what would become of Exeser if she fell? And us with her. The clock was ticking, and we were running out of miracles. <sighs> Echoes of Exeser is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects courtesy of GarageBand and Swordcode Soundscapes on YouTube. Link in the description. For questions or comments, email us at echoesofexeser at gmail.com.